Welcome back to the Owner Operator Podcast. I'm your host, Austin Gray, and in this episode, I host Spencer Stevenson, aka The Wash Boss. Spencer has been deeply embedded into the wash industry for 13 years now. He has built power washing businesses that service industrial clients like truck fleets and heavy equipment, as well as commercial clients like parking lots and commercial buildings. And he's also done the whole residential game. Spencer has a wealth of knowledge in the wash industry, and he's also working on a very cool project right now where he's creating a ton of free resources for people who want to start a power washing business. Make sure to stick around at the end of the episode to learn more about that opportunity. But I did want to mention right now, if you're enjoying these episodes, would you mind to just like, comment, and subscribe? It really helps us out if you're on YouTube. If you're listening on Apple or podcast, excuse me, if you're listening on Apple or Spotify, would you mind to just give us a follow? If you follow it, our episodes will be uh, automatically piped through as a notification on your phone so that you'll get notified whenever we, re- we release a new episode. And then finally, if you don't mind to leave a five-star review, that would be awesome. We would greatly appreciate that. We're having a ton of fun doing this and we hope you guys are enjoying this uh, as much as we are. Finally, we're working on a project called Owner Ops. Owner Ops is simply put an online education platform for service business owners. So right now we are documenting tons of resources about how we have built and grown our service-based business here locally. And we're putting those into video trainings that you'll get access to everything from like how to get your first customers, how to set up your Google My Business profile, how to do local SEO, how to go get, uh, how to make yard signs, how to make flyers, all that kind of stuff. Um, we'll be building that out with more content as we grow our business. So this is going to be an ever evolving thing. And we also have a private Slack channel specifically for local service business owners. So we've got some really cool people in the group at this point. And if you want to come check it out, just visit ownerops.com. That's O-W-N-R-O-P-S.com slash alliance. That will take you directly to this page. It is a paid group at this point, but it's only a dollar to join. So you can come in for a dollar for the trial period, meet some people, check out the video trainings, see if it's a good fit for you. And then if you do decide to stick around, it's just 49 bucks a month. So we hope to see you on the inside. And without further ado, let's jump into the episode with Spencer. So I actually came across you. I can't remember if it was on YouTube or if it was Twitter, but I remember going to your website, the walk boss. Yeah. And it sparked all these ideas. So like I was working on building my land clearing business here and I saw that you had like the wash boss Twitter handle and then you were doing all these videos and whatnot on there. And I was like, Oh, this is an awesome deal. Um, so that's what that sort of like sparked the idea of, uh, my Twitter handle, the odor op. Um, it's just like, I I think it's cool whenever you can sort of just like pick something, kind of own it. And, um, anyways, I wanted to say that because I I thought it was cool, like kind of owning the wash boss. Anyways, I've looked into, at that point, I think I was looking into um, what you had done. And yes, I did. You were on YouTube at that point, right? Probably. In all honesty, yeah, I think YouTube's been about a about a year now or so, give or take. So um, not that long. 
truthfully, I haven't been on there too, for too, too long. So I want to dive deep into the story. You've been in the pressure washing business in and out for how long now? Um, just coming up to 13 years now. So that's, okay. uh, yeah, that's the game so far. I feel like it's been 50, but it's been uh, 13 long years. <laughs> okay. So I've done my research. I understand uh, you're working on a project. And in our conversations over the last month, you were just head down working on this project. Uh, I think it's yeah. called cleanventures.io, right? You got it. Okay. Yeah. So let's save that for towards the end. But I'd like sure. to jump in and just hear your story about how you got into the pressure washing business. So take us back to the beginning. How'd you start? Yeah, truthfully. So, um, summer in high school and, uh, it was, it was kind of junior year and, uh, in high school. So, so, um, I was, I was toying with this idea. My father, he was in the liquor industry and, um, I had the opportunity to work in his retail stores and it was like $14 an hour, I think, or $12 an hour or something like that. Right. Wasn't, wasn't the best money in the world. <laughs> and, uh, I just remember I was, I was bagging, I used to bag like a lot of grain and hops and stuff like that, right? For beer as well. And I finally just snapped one day. And uh, that night I went home and I, I kind of flipped the coin. I was like, I need to figure out something else. And so depending on what it lands at, I'm either doubling down with the father's business or I'm going into uh, something else, right? <laughs> Whatever it may be. So I started to look at landscaping and like just, you know, general labor landscape jobs, 30 bucks an hour, that type of stuff. Um, just grunt work and truthfully it didn't really fire me up too much. And so I remember I just literally made a Google search and I think it was top 10 businesses to start with less than $10,000. And what came back was a flood of bullshit, truthfully. But then one thing that stuck out, which was pressure washing. And I was sitting there, I was like, I know I can wash my car. I was, I was a big car guy. I love, love cars, all that type of stuff. Right. Um, and I had done some pressure washing and some window cleaning in the past when I was like much younger, 12, 13, 14. Um, I was always trying to hustle to make some extra bucks, mowing lawns, went, uh, cleaning windows. And I just decided, you know what, it's time to double down. I'm going to try it. I'm going to see what happens. So I started uh, YouTubing stuff. And, and at that time, there wasn't a ton out there, truthfully. Um, now it's kind of taken over, obviously, a little bit to a certain extent, but um, with the whole SMB space. And I remember I put together a website that night, ordered some business cards off of Vistaprint. I didn't have uh, an LLC or, or anything like that, right? And I just started knocking doors, truthfully, um, and landed a couple projects. And then that turned into um, working with a gentleman, um, you know, on the side doing painting. So through College Pro Painters, uh, which is a university kind of franchise system. I don't know if you're familiar with it at all. And um, he, he kind of looked at me, he was like, well, you're in between these two things. You got this kind of side business thing, right? That it's not really a business. And then you're painting for me. And he was like, why don't you just double down on the thing you're really good at, which is washing, because you suck at painting. <laughs> and um, so he told me, he was like, look, dude, put together a Google calendar, all right? Send it to me, make sure it with me so it's live um, and block schedule. And that was, that was the first time I ever heard somebody talk about block scheduling your calendar, right? Um, and bear in mind, I'm like, you know, fairly 
barely, I wasn't even legal to drink at the time, barely legal to drive. So somebody telling me to block schedule was kind of a, a big concept. Um, put in four block schedules every day, six days a week. And he was like, just check it uh, the next morning. I think that was on a Friday, if I remember correctly. And then he was like, check it uh, next business day, which was a Monday, obviously. And I had literally booked out my calendar completely. Well, he had. He plugged me in with all the painting companies in my local area. And they all needed somebody to pressure wash the projects, like the fe fences, the decks, the houses, all that type of stuff before they painted it. Painters hate pressure washing, I found out. Um, and that started me at a very young age making a shitload of money, um, truthfully, for somebody that's 16 years old, walking away with two, $3,000 a day sometimes um, was pretty crazy. And, you know, I, there's the, the ego trip happened where I was like, I don't need these teachers anymore. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm killing it. Um, that I went whole, through that whole cycle. And then um, the winter came. And everything shut down because it, it turned to like minus 20 minus 30 where i lived in the winter so i was kind of like well i'm screwed so then it, it went back to this repetitive cycle long story short um the the completion of that cycle into the next year so the 12-month calendar let's look at it that way from service season to service season i came just shy of 200 grand um in gross revenue and uh that kind of started my love for the industry truthfully that was the start the long-winded start of stumbling my way into the industry, figuring it out along the way. That's awesome. So in the beginning, were you just solo owner operator fulfilling all the work? Everything. Yeah. Day daybreak to, to sundown. It was uh, it was a lot of fun. I miss those days, truthfully, to a certain extent. Um, they're very fond memories. So. Yeah, and, and pressure washing is kind of one of those things. It's similar to operating a piece of equipment. If it, once you get the hang of it, I'm sure it was like, actually pressure washing is some somewhat of a stress relief, like you're blowing off the steam. To a certain extent, I mean, when you're when you're pressure washing, what I would say is, even to this day, I love going out and and hopping in a truck and going out and cleaning a train or, or you know, cleaning a, a plane or something like one of those cool projects, right? A tank or something like that. I think it's so cool to be able to do that type of stuff. Cleaning houses, um, you know, <laughs> Uh, there, there comes a time when you, you get tired of uh, Karen walking out the back door and yelling at you because you, you blew some water through her uh, her open window. Um, so, uh, you know, my business partner now, Liam, and, and my past partners and other companies, they always kind of joke that I'm the anti-residential guy. Like, I'll just, <laughs> I'll do anything to avoid residential projects. But, um, yeah, it is a stress relief. And it's, it's, you know, it's cool. When you get the right equipment, it's kind of like probably what you're familiar with, right? Like with land services. You get that right gear it makes your life so much easier and you, you have a fun time it's kind of like being a kid in the sandbox right have a good time oh dude my favorite toys as a kid were tonka trucks in the sandbox and now it's just like i'm living that in real life it's like this big video game um so you specialize in coming in before painters is that like your main niche early on yeah that was the that was the original niche where it was just like um, it was, and it was a grand slam offer. Like that was before Alex Hormozzi kind of came out with the whole grand slam offer. I realized that I could walk into any painting company and say, look, I know that you're more profitable as a company. They, and they didn't even know it at the time. A lot of them, right. Cause painting, unfortunately, sometimes isn't the most, um, 
sought after IQ space, let's put it that way on an, a business owner standpoint. And so I would go in and I literally had an Excel sheet and I would send it to them. I would say, this is what your gross profit looks like with me involved. And this is what it looks like without me involved. And I could usually increase their gross profit margin by simply removing their painters from being on the job site for an extra two days, pressure washing a house when it would take me four hours. Right. So yeah, it was cool. It was a good, it was a good, uh, easy niche to break into. So what would the average ticket size be on a job like that? Um, it would really depend on, on the client. Okay. So if we were dealing with university student painters, for example, right. Um, they were usually kind of at the bottom of the barrel or sometimes way overpriced because <laughs> they were shooting for the moon or the ground, depending on their pricing market. Um, usually, I, the average ticket wasn't usually less than $200, okay? And bear in mind, you know, that would just take probably an hour or two of my time, pops. Um, but then your average house is kind of sitting around that 300 to $450 range. And you mentioned earlier, that's like four hours. So you're making like a hundred bucks an hour at that point early on. Essentially, yeah, it was um, my original mentor turned then business partner later down the line. He would, he would always tell me, target that 125 140 an hour and you're going to be in a good place because then you can replace yourself with a labor employee and still make a good profit that's great so if somebody's just starting out in the pressure washing industry like is that a viable niche i'm going to say niche that's how i say it you're going to say niche and you guys who are listening <laughs> you're just going to deal with the differences so um, i can start saying niche so okay. <laughs> I, I pronounce it differently it's it's weird um i would say to answer your question yes all right um it all comes down to you i mean you can you can you can clean anything truthfully right but if you're looking for that lowest barrier to entry and the lowest stress involved right everyone is always concerned in the wash industry um I'm, you know same as land services and asphalt and line painting and painting right that they're going to screw it up and with pre-paint pressure washing I mean, if you manage to screw it up, I'm, I'm going to give you a gold star because it is one of the easiest things. I mean, you're literally getting paid to destroy the surface of somebody's house to a certain extent, right? To strip all the paint off or whatever it may be. Um, and so if you mess that up, like, honestly, congratulations. <laughs> you can get a free spot at Clean Ventures. I don't even know your pricing model there yet, but yeah, for sure. Gold scar in a free spot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Okay, so that's an easy niche to break into. Um, we've got some way more exciting things to talk about on this podcast. I, I know we're going to get into some good stuff here. So I want to hear where the business went from that. Boy, um, it was kind of a blur, truthfully. I'm still trying to piece it together uh, to a certain extent. What happened was um, from there, that uh, that last so that that calendar year right i it was i think it was one hundred eighty seven thousand dollars in revenue i produced just myself and um my mentor slash the owner of the business the painting business the original one uh he took me out for coffee he just kind of looked at me he's like you're an idiot i remember he, he said that to me and uh he's like you just need to get yourself replaced double down and double up and he said that to me and I, I distinctly remember him using that phrase of double down and then double up. And I was like, I don't know, like this guy was telling me to block schedule six months ago 
and I, I'm just, I need a source for these words. He's got this guy's using. Um, and he was like, why don't we just partner and I'm going to, I'm going to teach you everything. Um, and it was, it was actually a really, you know, partnerships can be a really bad thing. I think a lot of the time. Um, but in this case, it was a, it was a good relationship, good business relationship. Um, and that carried on for about seven years. We built a lot of really cool stuff together, a lot of cool businesses. Um, and in that period of time, every business unit that we created, it followed the exact same blueprint, exact same trajectory. It would go that 200,000 first year, typically with one operator, then we'd usually hit that half a million mark the next year. And then just about over 700,000 the third year. And then you'd crush over the seven figure mark in the fourth year. That's typically kind of the stage. And then obviously as progression was, was made, you can close that timeline gap a lot, a lot faster. Okay, this is something that you bring up that I've been contemplating, thinking about a lot recently. What are the different stages of small business growth? And you just kind of touched on it, but I want to go deeper on that. Specifically, you would say you as a solo owner operator can easily get to 200,000 in revenue. Easily. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Okay, so to get to that 500 mark, what do you need to do headcount wise? Well, you know, I'll, I'll say there's an asterisk to this entire conversation. Okay. I'm, I'm speaking specifically about the industry I know, which is cleaning. All right. And I want to say that there's an umbrella to the entire cleaning industry, window cleaning, power washing, janitorial, um, house cleaning. They're all relatively the same. The cogs change a little bit, but to answer your question, I think a lot of it has to calculate in with, for example, a land service project in your in your your neck of the woods, right? Um, you know, I don't know the average ticket price, but I'm somewhat aware of what it costs here. So you could do four projects or three projects and hit that 200k mark, right? Depending on the size of the project, it really depends on the industry. If I'm speaking strictly to power washing and the cleaning industry as a whole. Yeah, it's that first stage of 200K and you're able to do that yourself. Um, and then there's these glass ceilings. It was, I, I literally just shot an hour video last night about it. We have we've broken it out into 14 stages. And there's about six um, glass ceilings within those 14 stages that you have to kind of eventually break through and either, either you get stuck up against the glass and you can't figure out how to break through it, uh, which a lot of people do, unfortunately or you just keep ramming the speed up and just smashing through. Okay, so what did you do to break through that 200K mark? Truthfully, this sounds corny, but uh, mentorship, all right. Um, it, was, it was getting in the right rooms and having the right conversations, and I know that's easy to say, um, but it was really just about opening up and sharing the issues I was having, you know? When I was doing this at the start, I didn't have Twitter, I didn't have YouTube, I didn't have Instagram to go to, right? Um, to realize that I wasn't the only one <laughs> and that I wasn't the only one facing these issues. So it was about going to coffee shops, going to restaurants almost every single night, sitting at the bar, trying to talk to people. And you know, a lot of it was real estate guys at the, at the start. They really helped me because a lot of them started in the small service industries um at, at least where i grew up you know a lot of the big wealthy guys the the you know eight nine figure guys they all started with painting companies or with you know 
uh, trenching companies and stuff like that and then work their way up into real estate. So they had some really good advice. Okay, specifically, can, can you get to 500K in the wash industry with, as a solo owner operator breaking through the 200K mark with hiring one other employee or how many, how many people do you need? What do you need to do to your team to get to that next mark? Um, I would say first and foremost, and I mean, there's a, there's a gentleman named Dan on Twitter as well. Um, and I believe he's based out of PE. He's, he's, we, we kind of follow the same principle. Um, we share, shared a lot of the same visions in short, you really need to get out of residential. That's just the truth. Okay. And when I say get out of it, that doesn't mean kill it. It means keep it operational, have it generating like three or $400,000 in revenue. Right. Um, it doesn't take a lot to scale up that extra hundred grand from the 200K mark and then get into commercial. Um, that's really what you need to do because then you can still have one truck with maybe yourself and another employee, but instead of that truck turning off at five o'clock and just being done for the night, it fires up you know, back at, at 9 p.m. or something like that. And that guy runs from 9, 9 p.m. until 5 a.m., right? And then you double down your revenue and you have to be on top of your maintenance and all that type of stuff. But that truthfully, if people ask me what the secret was for me, I didn't come from money. I didn't, I didn't have access to, you know, daddy's credit card. And it was about me looking at, okay, I got one piece of equipment. There's 24 hours in the day. How do I get, make sure that thing's washing for at least 20 hours a day. And that's what I did. Okay. So break into commercial. How do you tactic, how do you tactically do that? Lead generation, data enrichment, that is truthfully what it is. Okay, there is no secret. You need to develop a lead generation system, a funnel of sorts, okay? That can be cold outreach of some sort, um, networking of some sort, okay? Um, obviously, those are rather broad terms, but the truth is you need lead generation, then you need to enrich those leads, so validate them, essentially, all right? And then you need to do hold outreach to those leads um, and, and start knocking on doors. It's a numbers game. All right. It's, you know, you, you can't, you can't send out 300 emails and expect anyone to give a shit. Truthfully, you need to send out 3000 emails and then maybe you'll get one reply. And then you double down on how you got that response. And that's how I started. I would send out a thousand emails or 3000 emails see which one came back, and then I would just duplicate that exact same email chain to everyone else. Okay, so when you're growing your business back in the early days, you make this transition to putting your truck to work at night, and you're focusing on acquiring commercial customers. Yeah. Who was that first commercial customer? You don't have to use names, but like what, what type of industry was it? Well, I got thrown into the deep end fast. <laughs> um, and I distinctly remember this. this is a funny story. I don't actually think I've ever shared this story anywhere. Um, but when you get into commercial, you need to have a hot water washer. All right. You need to be running steam. And, um, what happened was I didn't know that. And so I got a call one day from a gentleman. He owned a, just a general contracting company. And he said, look, I've won this tender. Um, tender for services on a commercial shopping complex. Do you think you can wash it? And I remember, you know, this is me being young and dumb 
but this is the way you grow, as you know. And I just said, yes. And he said, okay, I need it done within the next 72 hours. Can you do that? And I said, yes. And then he sent me the address. And I mean, I can visualize that, that shopping center now. It spans about five and a half city blocks. And it was just me in a van. And I mean, it had a, a good life fitness gym in it. It had a, uh, I think it was a Loblaws. It had a Toys R Us kids store. Um, you name it, it had every single big box chain you could possibly imagine in this shopping complex. It was one of the biggest in the city. Um, and so I got thrown into it and I started washing it. I just had a, a pull behind pressure washer. All right. At the time, that was my first commercial project. And I went out and I bought like 2000 feet of garden hose and I hooked up to the water bib on the building and I just pressure washed everything I could. And after the first night, okay, of me doing it, um, he then called me back the next morning and bear in mind, you know, I haven't slept. I'm kind of in a daze kind of thing. Right. And he's like, Hey man, everything looks really good, but there's the gums not off the sidewalk. Can you make sure you get the gum off the sidewalk? And you know, again, YouTube's not there. Twitter's not there. And I'm thinking, how do I get this gum off the sidewalk? And so I kid you not, I went to Home Depot or Lowe's and I bought a hammer and a chisel and some sandpaper. And so imagine, uh, you know, a 16 or 17 year old kid or whatever, right? Um, laying on the ground at three o'clock in the morning with a hammer, a chisel and some sandpaper. And that's how I got the gum off the sidewalks. You know, now it takes two seconds. You hit it with a daub of steam and it pops off. Um, that's the truth. <laughs> that is awesome. I love it. I, I love the stories of people early on in business because like when you start that and your name's behind something, there is no room for not making it happen. Yep. So it's like, even if it's the dumbest or worst way to do something, it's like, it sounds, it probably sounded like the best idea at that time because you're like this is the way i get this off this is the way i can logically think about getting the gum off right and you just make it happen well it's just figure it out you know say yes and then figure it out i think that is honestly the key to entrepreneurship in level one it's just say yes <laughs> that's all you are is a problem solver like entrepreneur the yeah. definition of an entrepreneur is a problem solver yeah and especially in contracting you know, I mean, there's, I would look at my friends that are in, in SAS or in, you know, they're, they're, they're coding stuff through Python and they're building all this crazy stuff online. You know, there's an entrepreneur there, but then there's like this hybrid entrepreneur in small business. I find a lot of the time where you're just like a firefighter and a construction worker at the same time. And you're just out there just solving problems. That's correct. Yeah. One of the investors in my first businesses told me something that will always stick with me we were about to start this project we were like overseeing the the build of a commercial build out and he said he like looked me in the eye he's like are you ready for this i'm like yeah he's like i'm gonna tell you something right now most people on this project are going to present the problems your job is simple just present the solutions yeah. and that's stuck with me for the last six or seven years however long it's been, but applying that mindset to just, they're consistently going to be problems along this entrepreneurial journey. And if you can be the one to provide the solution, you will always have a job or you will always get paid. And always. so, yeah, without fail.
so you go, you, you, you present this solution, you go clean this uh, commercial, were you cleaning sidewalks or parking lots or what? Yeah, it was just sidewalks. I mean, it was simple. <laughs> so is that like a, across every city in the US, every single commercial building pays somebody to pressure wash sidewalks at some point, is that correct? Yeah, I mean, they, they should, most of them do. All right. Um, some of them don't and it shows because the big box stores don't, they don't go there. You know, their lease is up and they go somewhere else. They go where the grass is greener. So yes, everyone should be doing that. And that most of them do truthfully. All right. If we're getting too deep into the secret sauce, you can tell me and we can move on. But what, if somebody's going after commercial customers in the pressure washing business, like what do you, where, where does the, opportunity bell go off in your mind like so you you told me at the beginning of this you're going to fly into denver you're going to land you're probably going to get an uber to wherever you're going you're going to drive by some commercial complexes like where's your opportunity bell going to go off like that person will pay for pressure washing services or that company it starts at the airport it starts before i even leave man airports are some of the biggest paydays for me you know and the thing you need to remember, okay, I always say this to guys in the watch game, is whether it's LAX or Denver, well, I've never landed in Denver, so we'll see, but uh, it's LAX or, or you know, Panama City in, in, in Central America. When you look at your average pressure washing company, and the truth is, okay, and this isn't me speaking poorly on the industry because it's what I love, the average guy always thinks, well, that's too much for me. The average person in the industry, okay? What I realize is that when you just say, fuck it, excuse me, like I don't think this, this, this podcast is, I think it's PG-13, but when you just say, I'm going to send it, right, and you throw that football all the way down the field and you start, you hit up the military base and you hit up the airport, all right, that's the easy lane. Everyone else is targeting the, the restaurants, the Chick-fil-A's, the Starbucks drive throughs there's, a, there's 10 guys hitting that up. Nobody's hitting the airport up. That's what I look at. If you want easy street, go to the hard thing first. Because then what happens as well, or go to your local arena, like out the side of my window here, there's the big hockey arena for our, where I live. Go in and pressure wash their building. Because then what happens is you do that one job, you make what you would have made cleaning 50 other projects, right? And yeah, you're going to walk into that just like your first land clearing project and be like, I am in over my head. I have no clue what I'm doing, but I'm going to figure it out. Right. And then the beauty of it is, is when you're done it, because you will do it and you'll do it well. And it might take you longer than the other guy, but you're going to do it properly. You put that arena on your website or in conversation, right, with the guy, the manager at Chick-fil-A, you're like, oh, yeah, we washed Rogers Arena immediately they don't even there's no verification they don't even think about looking you up on google it's like oh yeah they they clean the hockey arena in town these guys know what they're doing that to me is easy street go for the big fish it's a great point you bring up and i feel like this is very similar to like social proof is everything on your website if you can put reviews and testimonials plus a review from like a very specific customer like that, that boosts conversions. But then you go take that into in-person conversations 
and you've got to leverage that stuff. It's, it's, oh, yeah. <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah. I love it. All right. So I want to get back into your story. I'm going to keep bringing us back to this. You said you, you partnered with this guy. You, you mentioned that you launched multiple businesses. Were they all in the wash industry or did y'all launch multiple different services with that painting guy? <laughs> um, predominantly in the wash industry. Um, I mean, it was in Canada. Uh, then there was a guy in, in Dallas that we partnered up with for a wash company there. Uh, there's also a watch company in Panama City in Central America, partnered up with. Um, and then my cousin at the time, uh, well, he's still my cousin, but my cousin at that time had a large company in the UK that uh, did rope access services. So high angle rescue and uh, like skyscraper window cleaning and glass installation and stuff like that. And so uh, we kind of partnered up with him and uh we were looking at bringing his company over to canada so we were we were working through that so myself and that and that partner at the time we were kind of two peas in a pod you know running on the highway shoot, shooting shooting these businesses down um and it was it was a good thing it was cool um but yeah predominantly it was in the cleaning industry i would say exterior services is the best way to, co to classify it all right so at this point you're you figured it out. You figured out your cost of goods. You figured out your equipment. You figured out the business model at this point. Thought I had, yeah. Thought you had, yep. okay. Yeah. You, you, I, what I've learned is that it's always adapting, right? You know, you you get to each level, you kind of figured it out, and then you realized, actually, I should not have done what I did there. I'm going to do it differently. And then it becomes faster next time, or you unlock a different market. So. I would say I had I had figured it out to the best of my ability at that time. Would you say that you figured the business model of washing out enough to go replicate that in different markets? Yes. At that time. Okay. And then there's a caveat. And then I figured out that people are more important than profit. Comma, but you need profit to have people. So um, I, I realized, unfortunately, due to some failed partnerships and some lost friends, et cetera, that um, people are everything in a business. I mean, you can go out there and I, I see it all the time and it's, it, you know, I kind of just, I sit back and you can't, you can't say anything really truthfully because they're not going to listen to you because I've been there. I wouldn't listen to somebody telling me, but I see a lot of these people out there, especially on Twitter, unfortunately. Um, and they're going out there and they're, you know, they maybe hit 50 K a month or something like that, or hundred K a month. And they're like, I'm going to build another five locations. It's like, that's, that's level six, man. You're on level two. <laughs> Just do more of what you're doing where you are, because you're going to need somebody. You're going to need that person that you trust that's your right hand to take care of that baby that you just built for the last four years. That's where people that, that was the next issue is the people problem and solving it. You feel like you have a solution for that now? I can confidently say that I have a solution that works 
now in the current market, but the market's always changing. So that might change in six months. It might change in five months and we'll adapt, but it works now. Okay. I feel like there's more to come on that. There that is. Conversation, yeah, for sure. For sure. And I'll, I'll let you drive that because I know you're pushing out a lot of content right now. So I won't push too hard on that piece. Let's get back into the pressure washing specific model. So you, like I've seen a lot of your content. You've mentioned airports. You've mentioned military bases. You've mentioned uh, heavy equipment yards. How do you go and, and price those services whenever you land a job like that? Um, what I would say is for two of the three things you mentioned, military and heavy equipment, it's simple. It's by the hour. There's really no other, there's no other metric to it. Okay. Um, and I've never had a client that has been worth working with. Okay. That's the big caveat there. Uh, care about that. All right. Um, most companies that are in those industries, uh, they don't care about a $10,000 wash bill. You know, their, their payroll per day is $200,000. So they don't care about adding on another, you know, 5%. Um, the airports, that's a different story. And that is, that's truthfully where the, the big money comes in. Okay. That's the seven figure contract. That's the thing that you only have to do once a year. And you honestly don't have to do anything else if you don't want to for the rest of the year. Um, and that usually is priced out on a square footage basis. And then you implement a risk multiplier. So you calculate the square footage of whatever you're cleaning, whether it's horizontal or vertical. And then you assign a risk. It's the, it's the same thing insurance company does, right? You assign the risk multiplier to it and um, you proceed from there. On those hourly jobs, is 125 an hour still the going rate for these services per, per man and piece of equipment? Um, no. Okay. I, I was going to say I wish I could say it was, but... I didn't know if that was going to be the right verbiage. Um, no, I, I would say it's it's safe to say that 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 price is increased by at minimum fifty percent, if not a hundred percent, depending on your market. Sure, and that's obviously for labor and the cost of that really nice piece of equipment factored in to there into the business model. Correct. Yeah. Um, you know, unlike land services, I would maybe say where you're dealing with multiple pieces of equipment required for one project, right? Um, with this, you know, and there's associated costs to that obviously, um, with this, you just have one piece of equipment and you just have to break that down to, okay, what's your lease rate on that equipment? What's your job rate on it? And then you factor that into your cogs try to maintain that solid profit. I mean, our goal always is every business we work with, we should be targeting 80% gross profit. That's the goal. Um, so you have to factor that into your hourly rate. You mentioned lease. Do you lease or purchase your equipment? I used to own everything. Um, so I'll be I'm always very transparent with that. Once I had the cash to do it, I would buy everything and I would buy really old equipment 
and then I would spend a shitload of money bringing it up to current maintenance. So we would, you know, we'd buy a 2003 Ford F350 or F550 Power Stroke with a 7.3 in it, and we would dump $15,000 into just, you know, getting it up to standard kind of thing, if not more money. <laughs> um, and that that's how I rolled. And then um, when it came to scale, okay, what I realized was I needed to then duplicate what a lot of the large companies did. You know, Halliburton doesn't own its fleet. They lease it. And so I needed to do what Halliburton was doing now. And so that's when, because that allows you to flex, right? Um, but if you're trying to buy everything in cash, which most companies do, I'm, I'm, you'll sink yourself in payments. And then if the project dries up, you're, you're done, right? <laughs> you can turn a lease in and pay a penalty, but you can't turn a, a finance in, right? You're going to lose your, your, your neck on it a lot of the time. So even specific to financing a piece of equipment. So like you're very specific in setting up a lease agreement and and not purchasing the equipment via financing. Yeah, what I would say is the only asset that we would ever purchase is a washer, okay? The actual heart of the operation. So a hot sea or an easy clean unit or a Canuck or something, we would buy that, all right? And there's usually... You can get those units financed in a reasonable finance agreement, okay? Depends. I've seen it as high as 20% interest, which is obviously predatory. Um, but typically, you can kind of sit in that 5% range, which at market rate for right now, I think is reasonable. Um, and, you know, your payment on that unit might be 700 bucks a month, right? So you only need to work for a day to pay that, uh, if that, right? And still pay yourself. Um, and then the the specifics of what we're referring to for a vehicle right because you need something to haul it with is um you know there's financing there's lease options and then there's strs so the short-term rentals and then the ltrs too long-term rentals um those three main categories so the i would say the rental category the leasing category and the financing category they all have their place right if you're going to be working for on a contract for four years, right? You get a long-term contract and you can float that finance, then pay the asset off, right? Because it's going to be a lower rate than the lease. But if you are on a contract for maybe six months, right? That's where you got to look at the rental category. And truthfully, for some reason right now, all right, I can't, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to kind of expose the industry, but for whatever reason, LTRs, long-term rentals are cheaper than finance and lease options right now. And I believe it's because companies like Enterprise, Hertz, uh, Alamo, Avis, all those type of rental car companies, I think they're just buying a lot of units. And so they actually have commercial fleet divisions. A lot of people don't realize that, but that's how we've always scaled. What sort of trucks are you buying? Like brand and, and type, make and model? You, uh, originally, it was without fail, a 1997 to 2003 F550 power stroke with a 7.3 power uh, turbo diesel in it because you could literally shoot that block with a 50 cal and it would still crank over. Um, and it was also dummy proof. This was the other thing when you're dealing with entry level employees, um, you know, run a, run, run a truck out of oil. Well, with a 7.3, you can't do that. The, the literal the motor will stop working before it runs itself out of oil. 
Um, so it was a nice dummy feature to have. Um, now it's all usually F550 um, with the either this the six seven power stroke or um, the they have the new seven three gas motor, um, which is a really really good motor. And they pair it up with a ten speed transmission. I just drove one back about a month ago, uh, one of the brand new ones, and it was I was unbelievably impressed. So drove it back from. <laughs> uh, the edge of the world. Um, it was a it was a massive. Um, I can't share too much on the project because we signed a huge NDA. But it was a um, it was a project for a very um, for I would say a, a, a multinational um, infrastructure project. Okay, and uh, literally on the 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 tip of the ocean. All right, and we got we got brought in. Um, you know, and I would say, I want to classify this by saying I have a reputation in the industry of being the guy that gets the shit done doing the projects that nobody else wants to do because we figure it out. So we got a call late on a Friday saying, Hey, we have this problem. We need it solved within the next three weeks. Here's an open PO, get it done. And, um, I initially turned it down and then they called me back on the Monday and they were like, what do we need to get you here? <laughs> Um, kind of deal and so we we came up with a deal but I, I basically had to, I ended up driving that truck for uh, within seven days I drove it for over a hundred hours um, just to make the just to make things happen I was flying guys in to make things happen and and then I had to help get the physical units and the assets up to where they needed to be that's awesome I love it man I love the hustle I love I mean it's like I talked about this whenever I started the, the podcast. Like, I think people can come to the podcast called the owner operator podcast and think that it's about being like a solo owner operator. And that was in no way, shape or form what I had intended. It's no way, shape or form how I plan to build my business. It's more about the mindset. It's like, I'm an, I'm both an owner and I'm an operator, whatever the business needs me to do. I'm going to make that happen. And yeah. I love bringing people onto the podcast who embody that same mentality. doesn't mean you can't scale a business taking an owner operator mindset. I think, I think being like a solo owner operator, you, you box yourself into, you know, not being able to delegate, not being able to hire, like thinking you can do things better than everybody else. But when push comes to shove, like you just said, you, make you it made happen. it happen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, what I would say is, is, uh, and I, I learned this from one of my original mentors. The guy, I think the guy last time I checked was worth about 160 million. Um, but he he always said to me, he's like, I'll still make it happen when I'm 60. It's just the price is gonna be 60 times more than it was when I was 20. <laughs> oh, that's awesome, man. Is he in the wash industry? Uh, he actually, funny enough, he started out in painting and pressure washing. Uh, and then got into commercial real estate. Obviously, the times have changed. You can't just do uh, do what they did anymore and walk into the bank and say, hey, I want to buy a building. Um, and the bank gives you the money. Uh, those days are long gone, but um, at least for the general population, let's put it that way. But then, yeah, he got into commercial development um, and made a killing. So That's great. Before we get off the lease versus buy topic on those F-550s, like we're looking at um, what to do with our fleet next and we need the 550 yeah. like we're pulling around 
you know, our skids 13,000 pounds or mulching hits 3,500 pounds, you know, like but my guys have CDLs um, and I've got a 3,500 ramp and like that thing is maxed out. Yeah. yeah especially pulling <laughs> up, up these hills. Yeah. It's like, and then that track chipper, I think it's like 15,000 pounds. And so like, there's this one hill in our area and my lead operator the other day was riding with me and he's like, we do this too many more times than the black Dodge Ram's not going to be liking us. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's, and those are good motors too. Yeah. So what is the F550 look like on a lease agreement or that long-term rental payment? Um, so you're usually sitting around, uh, and this is Canadian pesos. So we're going to need to do the translation, but you're usually sitting around that, um, well, if I'm factoring in American, anywhere between 2,200 a month and about 3,500, depending on how they outfit it. That's the big thing too, right? If you're working with a long-term rental company, they're going to outfit the truck however you want it. I mean, they'll put a snowblade on it. They'll do whatever you want, right? And then they'll, they'll factor that payment in. Got it. And then what do those lease terms look like timeline-wise? open it's open-ended 30 days 60 days you could take it for five years they'll just keep giving you a new truck every six months and if your employee doesn't like i i literally i was um we work we work with enterprise um i was at one of their locations the other day and at, at their commercial location um and one of the, an employee for an oil and gas company just showed up he's like this truck's too tall and he was a big you know fat guy He's like, it takes a lot for me to get into this truck. And they just looked at me like, no worries, sir. Here, take this one. They just gave him a 1500. He was in a one time. They just give him 1500. Like it, it's literally the cat's meow. These options. I don't know if they were there 10 years ago. I'm not sure. But uh, if they were, I've been missing out. So um, we just kind of discovered this in the last year or two. Got it. Cool. Okay. So we're coming to the top of the hour here. Do you have to jump at, at top of the hour here at eight? I can probably push it another 15. Okay. Um, yeah. You want to jump into what you're working on with Clean Ventures? For sure. You want to share about that? Yeah. So long story short, um, I'll summarize it as best I can. But I realize that I hate the, and that's a strong word, but it's true. I really do not. I have a strong dislike for continuing to operate businesses. I get bored. Uh, very, very quickly. And so I, I kind of said to myself about four years ago, I can keep doing this. And yes, I can make good money in it and keep building these businesses out and stay in the same industry and maybe dabble in janitorial. I started doing that and stuff, commercial and industrial. Um, but then I started to work with companies. and. I realized that if I was able to coach people every single day and um, also license them the same solutions uh, that we had custom built for us, so whether that's you know lead generation or data enrichment software and stuff like that, if we could then take that stuff that we've paid money to build and license it to people and help the industry grow, 
I, I kind of said, I was like, I think that that is the play for me. And so I dabbled with it a little bit initially. Um, and then unfortunately what happened in transparency was um, there was some, we've coached a lot of the big players in the wash space. And what happened was unfortunately um, the ethics aren't always the highest. And so uh, I choose not to, you know, to, to dive into this too much because I don't want like people living rent free in my brain, but they took a lot of the stuff we had provided them and basically copied it. And then it came, comes down to a decision. You have to make it as a business owner and say, do I sue these people into oblivion <laughs> or, or do I just double down? Because I know that without me, they can't continue on. Like they can just keep copying what I'm doing, but without the brain, they can't continue on. And so um, took a bit of a step back, then re-came into the market and um, played around with the wash boss, which was really fun and helped a lot of guys scale. Um, and then I looked at this, the reason I'm getting to this point in the story is I looked across my condo. I'm sitting in my condo right now and this, my office protrudes outside of the building. And I'm literally looking through the glass and I'm looking through on the other side of my monitor and I see this idiot with all these lights in his condo and he's clearly filming some content or a video or something. And then I look closer and I see one of my good buddies, Dakota Robertson, you might know him off Twitter, sitting on the couch. He has a massive head. Like he's a really smart guy, but he has a huge head. So he's easy to spot. And um, I called him and I saw the guy pick up the phone. I'm like, dude, are you sitting across from my condo right now? Um, it's like, yeah, long story short, we went out to a restaurant later that night with the guys from the condo. And that guy was Liam Kircher, my now business partner in Clean Ventures. And so Liam and I had the unfortunate uh, opportunity to stare at each other every single day, every morning at like 4.30 in the morning when we'd get up and we'd start our day staring at each other from literally, there's a, there's a street that is in between our two buildings and our condos are on the exact same floor looking into each other. Um, and we kind of started talking, we started chatting. He was in the cleaning space, I was in the cleaning space. We were both doing the same thing online. And we ended up going to Panama again. Um, and we kind of said, we were like, why are we doing this separately? Like we have separate teams. We have the same stuff that we're, we're helping people with. Let's just do this together. And that's where Clean Ventures started. That's the story. And so with Clean Ventures, what we do is we have licensed solutions for helping companies that are in the cleaning space. Typically, they need to be doing at least about that bare minimum 15,000, but ideally $20,000 a month in revenue, which is kind of your typical cleaning business. Um, and we look to help them scale up to seven figures. Um, and it's not through you know, them buying a course or a program and we, we just say, here's access to it. And we're going to meet with you, you know, once a month or every couple of weeks. Um, it's through everyone that we like, we turn down 70% of the people that apply to work with us right now. Um, and we just kind of really try to strategically pick if they're going to be a good cultural fit. And there's a bunch of free resources on our website that we just give them, you know, anyone can access, go ahead and use them for hiring and for finance and profit and stuff. Um, but then on the inside, you know, they get access to our custom coded lead gen softwares, our data enrichment softwares. Um, there's a whole tech side, you know, to the cleaning industry and that's what we give them access to. That's awesome. So you said somebody who's doing what 15 or 20 K a month already is your ideal 
person that here yeah. you can help. Yeah. Yeah. Sweet. Well, is there anything else on Clean Ventures that you want to share just for people who are listening who might be, uh, you know, at that stage in their cleaning business? I, I would just say that um, in, in truthfulness, we're not always going to be the solution to everyone's problems in the cleaning industry. What I've realized is that most small businesses, you know, and I'll, I'll probably change my opinion on this in the next 10 years, right, once I have more experience, but currently, the way I th see things is that a lot of these small businesses are the same. It's about, you have your sales, your operations, and well, sales and fulfillment, right? Um, and both of them have to operate in succinct par parallel. If they don't, you're gonna be in trouble. <laughs> and you're always gonna have a hiring issue or you're gonna have a leads issue. And so um, with Clean Ventures, we're just there to, first of all, tell people that that's okay. Don't worry, you're not doing anything wrong if you're having those issues. You're actually doing something right, probably. Um, and honestly, we're just there to help the industry. Like, truthfully, you know, there's, I think there's a lot of shit out there. I know there's a lot of shit out there because the original, you know, stuff that we put out there in transparency, you know, got repurposed and resold by some other people in the space. And they're selling it for 150 bucks, you know, for a PDF or something like that. And I just think that that's such a, it's, 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 it's not the way to do it. And so with Clean Ventures, we just say, here's a bunch of free stuff, use it, get your business to you know half a million a year or something like that, and then let's talk. Let's see if we can take that thing to seven figures and build a business that you can sell. That's the big thing, right? There's no point in building a business if you can't sell it, and so that's really one of our fundamentals. Let's build you an asset, not just a hobby. All right, so normally I ask people who are on, like, what would you tell somebody starting in this industry? A more applicable question for you would be, all right, let's say some of the listeners have a pressure washing, window cleaning, or home cleaning business. They've been a solo owner operator. They're at that 200K mark. What would you tell them to do specifically to get from 200K to that 500K mark? In order... Make sure your website doesn't look like somebody on Fiverr built it for $400, all right? Truthfully, that's a big one. Make sure it's mobile friendly. Lock that thing in. Okay, so that's like the compartment number one that you're never going to have to open up again for the next like two years, right? Make sure it's actually dialed in. Copy the best guy in this space that you can find. You know, don't take the words off the website, but copy the general layout, right? Do that. And then... Truthfully, when you look at it from 200K, from zero to 200K, you're working your tail off. You're taking every project you can. You're doing residential projects likely, right? Think about to go from 200 to 500, you need an additional $300,000 in revenue, right? In essence, that's about 15 to 30 commercial projects. So then it comes down to a numbers game. If 30% of the people that you outreach to need your services and will proceed with your services, right? 60% might be interested, only 30% are actually going to proceed with the services. So then it comes down to a numbers game. How many people do I need to touch point with? How many commercial property managers do I need to reach out to to then be able to generate that extra $300,000 in revenue? And it will happen like that. 
compared to how long it took you to generate $200,000 in the residential market. That's what I recommend. Perfect. Thank you for sharing that. All right. If I hypothetically am going to start a pressure washing business in my local market, which you should, because you have equipment and you need to clean it. So anyways, we'll talk about that later. That's actually how I got interested in this thing. I was like, I'll send you a picture after this um, of the specific job where this idea popped. I'm like, why the heck do we not have a mobile pressure washing business? Like I would pay for this weekly on this job, you know? Um, and, yeah. and that was the thought I had because we were just getting dust. It was so dusty where it's dry. Radiators plugging up. Oh yeah, that. <laughs> and then you just, you know, when you're greasing every day, all that stuff just gets grimy and it, there's nothing better as a, an equipment operator than getting into a clean piece of equipment. And oh, yeah. I believe that well, buying, I don't want to get too far off on this tangent, but buying the right equipment, buying equipment that works, not having junky, crappy equipment that always needs maintenance yeah. and clean equipment lends itself to hiring the best operators in your market. Like people want to work in something that they feel proud of. They don't want to be driving the 1990s skid steer that's like falling apart and squeaking, right? They're way more proud to jump in the like brand new 2022 cracked machine, forestry yeah. package. And if it's clean, even better. So um, Big time. not to go too far off on that tangent, but if I'm going to start that, what do you tell me to do specifically right now? Well, in your case, all right, you've got equipment. You're starting to get a feel for the industry. You live in Denver, Colorado, or outside Denver, Colorado. Um, you probably live in one of the best places to start a wash company, truthfully. Um, and I would just position yourself as a commercial and industrial wash company on the side, right? Do a separate entity. It's different from Bear Claw, or maybe call it Bear Claw Wash Services or whatever it is, right? Um, and just get one truck and one guy and he cleans your equipment you know once a week or whatever it is and then just hit up every land like they don't need to know right that you have a land services company too so maybe name it something else hit up every land services company every heavy equipment company every construction company infrastructure company right that's what i would do you don't need the residential market you're you're you've kind of passed that level I just go straight commercial and I, I mean, that's, that's an easy 500 K bolt on to a million bolt on at bare minimum 60% gross margin to your business. That's what I would do. Should we do, should we do this in real time right now? I mean, we could <laughs> <laughs> go right. buy the domain right now. Uh, yeah. Okay. So, so let's do this in real time. Just hypothetically. From an SEO perspective, you know, I always like to think like simpler, the better. Like for me, when I started Bear Claw Land Services, like Bear Claw is the name of the prominent mountain here. It's kind of a thing that resonates with people locally. Like the logo is simple, clean and modern, and it replicates that mountain. Like there's there's like a claw in the mountain. That's why we have what we did. But it's like not anybody out there really notices that, nor does it actually help us in any way, shape or form SEO wise. Um, it's, it was more so just like a personal spin on creating a brand. I think if you take pure emotions out of launching a business, in my perspective, the best way is to say, 
location and region plus the service you offer and keep it as simple as possible. What is your perspective on that? My perspective is that DenverPressureWatch.com is available for $1,200 as a domain right now. And I, I would suggest buying that or at bare minimum, buy Denver Pro Wash. It's also available for $10. So um, from a search perspective, what do people search? Is it pressure washing? So uh, the verdict is still out and it's been out for the last 13 years since I started. Um, but every single year, if you look at Google Trends, from a statistical standpoint, it's pretty much 50-50. It might be like 47, 53, but people are predominantly searching more for power washing than they are for pressure washing, right? But it's literally like a 5% difference in most situations. Okay. So either one, whether you go pressure wash or, um, what specific term are they searching? Are they searching pressure washing near me? Or are they searching power washing or power wash? They're usually looking for power washing power wash services that's what they're typically searching for um and each market is somewhat unique but if i'm even looking right now like i'm looking live all this data is live right so for today for example if we look at 2 a.m for whatever reason and this could also be bots and stuff like that right but um pressure washing was leading and then as soon as uh, 6 a.m. came around, or 5 a.m., I guess, your time, it turned to power washing. So somebody you know, probably needs their equipment cleaned, and they searched it this morning. If we look at the past year, it's like, I mean, I can literally share my, my screen with you here. That's what the data looks like. Okay. So as you can see, it's relatively the same, but power washing does lead the pack in some circumstances. And the reason it leans the, leads the pack is because of the commercial and industrial sector in the wintertime, all right? In the summertime, people are looking for pressure washing. They want to get their house pressure washed, their driveway pressure washed. But power washing is kind of like the hidden bag. It's the hidden money behind the whole thing is they're still industrial companies still want to get their equipment power washed even if it's december trains still need to get cleaned that's why people are looking for those searches that's why they're doing those search queries okay um coloradopowerwash.com is available for 235 any preference on colorado power wash versus coloradopowerwashing.com well what i would say is that you're uh i would do power wash first of all okay um and if you're, if I'm being completely transparent with you, you know, if you're gonna do that, great. Just understand that there's probably less people searching for Colorado pressure washing or power washing than there is people searching for Denver power washing or pressure washing, All right? Just because we're talking about an entire region versus a city. Yeah. Seeing who has it, denverpowerwash.com. It's not hosted anywhere. It's just bought. And truthfully, I'll be honest with you. I might own it. I'm not sure. I know we bought a lot of the citypluspowerwash.com. 
spent like ten thousand dollars a few years ago and bought everything um we could but um yeah I, that's what i would recommend if you can get it get it anything denver you know region plus service it's a game changer that is the domain okay uh will you check and see if you have denverpowerwash.com i can It'll probably be 150 grand though. I'll give you a deal. I'll do it for 100. <laughs> I'll, I'll trade you for Colorado Power Wash. <laughs> uh, okay. Yeah. Great deal. <laughs> uh, no, dude. I, so I did this last year. I spun up a business uh, called coloradohottub.com. And um, I knew a guy who was, well, I eventually met a guy who was trying to start. I won't go too deep on this. Um, but I just started the business, bought the domain, launched a Google My Business profile, and literally, like, the phone just started ringing. And, uh, like, we did three SEO optimized pages and we started getting like residential calls. And then I just went and got like one HOA with like, I don't know, 20 tubs or something like that. And partnered up with this guy. And, you know, he was fulfilling all the work and everything. But, I mean, I think there's room for stuff like this, like finding little niche regions and services and, you know, applying a startup plan to it. So that's what I get most excited about. Um, so it's an easy anyway. play. It's all replicable. It's fun. Yeah. So there you have it. Um, Spencer Stevenson, the wash boss, pressure washing entrepreneur, co-founder of cleanventures.io. Thanks for joining us, Spencer. Happy to be here. Thank you so much. Yeah. We'll see you guys on the next episode of the Owner Operator Podcast. Uh, if you have not checked out the past episodes already, make sure to go back and check those out. Don't forget, work hard, do your best, never settle for less, and good things come when you do that. We'll see you guys in the next episode.